Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Wow, enough said. (laughs) That says it, doesn't it? I hope you have your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes 10.1. The title of my message this morning is Dead Flies. Dead Flies. I think you'll understand when I read the text. Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, and I'm reading in the King James Version today, Dead Flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Now that's a, an amazing verse. The word apothecary is not a word we use anymore, but it simply means druggist or pharmacist. Sometimes it meant chemist or perfumer. The text says that dead flies cause the ointment, the salve, the cough syrup, if you please, the medication of the druggist to send forth and to put forth a bad odor, a bad smell. And then it says, so does a little folly in him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Now what that verse in Ecclesiastes is doing is this. It's doing the exact same thing that Jesus often did in the New Testament. It is stating an obvious truth to reveal a not-so-obvious truth. So let's look first at the obvious truth here. The obvious truth is dead flies cause the ointment to have a bad odor. That's what he's saying here. Uh, we can draw a lot of modern day parallels. If you were getting ready to take a tablespoon of cough syrup and you held the tablespoon in one hand and the bottle of cough syrup in the other hand. And as you poured the cough syrup into the spoon, you noticed flowing out of the bottle a couple of dead flies. And there they are floating in the cough syrup that you're holding in that tablespoon. Now, my question to you is a very simple question. And again, notice we're dealing with obvious truth, obvious reality, things that are easy to understand. I'm just asking you, what would you do? What what would you do? Would you simply pick the little fellows up and remove them? Would you go ahead and take the cough syrup? Would you check the bottle to see if there are more flies in the bottle? Would you keep it for further use? 
Which, what, what would you do? You have something in your hand that's very good, very needed. You need the cough syrup. But what has happened is this. Something very small, something very little has now contaminated the cough syrup and you no longer want that cough syrup. At least I hope you don't. Because I can tell you that would do it for me. I think that might cure my cough. I, I think I could get by without it. You leave here today. We dismiss church a little bit early. Hopefully, prayerfully. You get to the restaurant before anybody else does. You order your meal and you order a salad. And you notice when the salad comes out, as you look down in the salad bowl, which you've been craving a salad, a real good, fresh garden salad, and you look down and there's a little water bug in the salad. Uh, So I'm just asking you, because this is exactly what the Scripture is talking about, what would you do? Would you remove the water bug and eat the salad? Or maybe this would be a better question. How many water bugs, how many insects, how many flies would you have to find in your salad to make it bad and to say, I don't want this anymore? You see, for me, for me, that's just a real easy question to answer. Just one bug, just one insect, just one in my salad, I'm done. I don't want it. Right? Am I graphic enough for you? Fasten your seatbelts. So have you ever noticed that no matter how hungry you are, when you take a bite of something and you notice something real stringy? And all of a sudden you realize that there's a hair in the food? I'm not trying to be gross. Honestly, I'm not. I'm trying to get your attention. We're going someplace with this. I'm trying to teach you a biblical truth. Isn't it amazing that just finding one hair in your food somehow takes away your appetite? I don't think I want any more of this. I'm done. Man, that will do it for you, won't it? Now, now listen, I want to teach you a biblical truth today, but before we move into the not-so-obvious truth that the Bible is trying to tell us here. I want to share with you a story, and this happened 40 years ago this year. And the reason I know that is because it was the same year that I was ordained into the ministry. And I was pastoring my first little church up in Georgia. And, and I do want to tell you that uh, th- this is almost hard to believe. And sometimes it's hard for me to believe. But I was there. My wife was there. We experienced this thing. And it was... I I just want to tell you, in my wildest dreams, in my wildest nightmares, I didn't think anything like this could possibly happen. But here we were in our first little church. There was a family in the church. And the family invited me and my wife to come eat dinner with them. We were honored, we were thrilled, we were excited, we were looking forward to a good evening, we were looking forward to good fellowship, we were looking forward to good food, we got dressed, we drove to their home, we pulled up in the driveway, we got out, we went to the door, and we knocked on the door. And the first thing I noticed, the first thing I noticed, was the door was wide open. And I knew immediately what that meant. That meant there was no air conditioning in this house. 
And, but I got to tell you, that's okay. I mean, for the first 20 years of my life, I didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have it in our cars. We didn't have it in our homes. I can handle no air conditioning. How, how many of you, how many of you remember no air conditioning? Hold your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. We're tough, aren't we? Yeah. God was still making men and women back in those days. Now we got a bunch of wimps, you know? Okay. So the door was wide open. The, but there was a screen door, but there was no screen in the door. It was a screenless screen door. And it was kind of, cause we knocked on the door and they said, come on in. And it was kind of confusing. Do we open the screen door and walk in or do we just step through? I wasn't sure what was proper in such a case, but I did know this. I know all the windows were open and all the doors were open and there were no screens and that should have been the first clue that this was going to be a bad experience. So we, we get in the house and friends, I, I, I try not to be critical because people have different standards of living, but this house was a mess. It was horrible. If they cleaned it up knowing the pastor was coming, I would have hated to see it before they cleaned it up. I mean, okay, all right, here we are. And you go wherever the Lord sends you. You, you, you eat whatever's put before you. So, okay, we're going to get through this evening. We're going to go home. Well, so not long after we were there, I went to the bathroom. And in the bathroom, I noticed very quickly that there was no soap. There was no hand towel. There was no paper of any kind in that bathroom. There was not even a shower curtain. I thought, well, I'll dry my hands on a shower curtain. There's no shower curtain. There's absolutely nothing in this bathroom that I could dry my hands on. So there was a linen closet. I opened the linen closet, and I know you're going to think I'm making some of this up, but folks, I can't tell you how bad it was. I opened the linen closet. There was absolutely nothing in the linen closet except about 12 inches, about a foot deep of trash and garbage in the bottom of the closet. You would need a shovel and a breathing mask to clean this up. It was so bad. I closed it very quickly, and the only thing I knew to do at that point was I dried my hands in my pocket. (laughs) But I knew at that moment that this experience was going to get worse. I, I went into survival mode. It was, it was almost instantaneous. And I'm thinking about my poor wife, who's very nice, nasty. She wants everything to be clean. And, and I, I'm, I'm thinking this, this really could cause a divorce. And, and, and I can tell you, that was in the days before cell phones. But that would have been an excellent time to send somebody a text and say, call me in 15 minutes with an emergency and get me out of here. (laughs) 
I go back in the living room. We're all seated in the living room. I sit down in the living room and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to salvage. I'm trying to be a good pastor. You know, you minister to people right where they are and, and you love them right where they are. You let God change them later. I, I'm trying to get all these thoughts in my head. I go in the living room. I sit down by my wife and I, almost within seconds after I sit down, I notice something. I don't know if I brought him with me out of the bathroom or if he was there on the sofa waiting for me, but I looked down and on the outside of my pants leg, there was a huge roach perched right there. My wife is an eyewitness. When I told her I was going to tell this story, she said, are you going to tell about the roach? I said, absolutely. I looked down and there's a huge roach. I'm not talking about a water bug, I'm talking about a big one. Some people call them palmetto bugs, the flying kind. And and he is perched right on my knee, and he is looking dead at me. He has those antennas moving just like that, and he's looking dead. And I'm telling you, this roach was not afraid of human beings. Not at all. And I realized at that moment, I I realized at that moment, that the insects, the roaches in this house and the people in this house were living very comfortably together. Now, friends, I don't, I don't want you to think otherwise. Every now and then I find a water bug. I find a roach at my house. But when I do, it's all out war. <laughs> Something is about to die when I find a roach at my house. I am sitting there. I'm not making this up. I'm sitting there. My knee is up like this. I'm looking at that roach. He's looking at me. I don't know what to do. I don't have a clue what to do, but I did know this. I knew this. I knew if that roach takes one more step toward me, this is going to get ugly. And what I'm about to tell you, I just don't think any, I'm, I was there. I did it. I saw it. My wife saw it. It's still hard for me to believe. In the presence of the man and woman of that home, we were all sitting real close together. That roach took a step. I took my finger just like this. I put it down right in front of his nose. He still didn't run or flee. And I, I thumped him as hard as I could. He flew up into the room, fluttered around in the middle of the room and died in the middle of the floor. And they never broke conversation and never acknowledged. They never said, forgive us, excuse me. I, I didn't know whether they were going to apologize or accuse me of killing a pet or something. <laughs> I, how in the world? Now, I could tell you a lot more, but let me skip to the end. We sit down at the table. The food is before us. Our tea glasses are there. And my wife punches me under the table. <laughs> Men, do your wife ever punch you under the table? You get, you get the little kick. You know something's up. You know either I said something wrong or something. She kicks me under the table and then she points to her tea glass. There is a water bug floating upside down in her tea glass. This thing is dead, but he's floating around in her tea glass. Now, everything I've told you up to this point is absolutely the gospel truth. Uh, I want to go into a what-if mode right at this point. What if I'd simply taken a spoon... And what if I had taken that spoon and what if I had reached over and dipped that water bug out of her tea and then slid the tea to her and said, now it's good. You can drink it. 
You understand, dead flies cause the medicine to be putrid, to put off a bad smell. It doesn't take very much to mess something up that's very good, something that you want, something that you desire. Here, here's what I want you to hear. Some things that are very good, good for you, good for others, good for healing, can be destroyed by something very little. Nature even testifies to this. Did you know in nature, and you can look this up, there's a ratio that they use in nature. It's a million to one ratio. A million to one. They tell us that one drop of used motor oil can contaminate a million drops of clean water. If you go up the scale, that means one gallon of used motor oil can contaminate a million gallons of clean drinking water. And, and they also tell us that crude oil that's being pumped out of the earth, we see these uh, uh, explosions and leaks every now and then, that crude oil that's never been used, one gallon of crude oil, can contaminate 250,000 gallons of clean water. Now, friends, again, I'm not trying to be gross, but I want to ask you, if you had a glass of clean drinking water and somebody put one drop of sewage in it, would you drink it? That's absurd. You wouldn't do it. What if you had a gallon of drinking water and somebody put one drop of sewage? Would that be enough? What if you had 10 gallons of drinking water? Would one drop of sewage be ignored? Or what if you had a 1,000 gallons of drinking water? Would one drop of raw sewage in that water be too much? It would be for me. You, you see, what's going on here is this. The Bible and nature both say the same thing. Just a little bit of something bad can destroy a lot of something good. That's what the Bible teaches. Now here's the not so obvious when it comes to you and me, when it comes to our lives. A lot of good can be destroyed by something very little in your life. It just takes one little flaw in your life to mess up your very good life. Your witness, your testimony, your ministry can be destroyed by just one little word, one little act, one little sin, one little moment of foolishness. One little sin, one little folly can make your good life bad in the eyes of others. One little bit of foolishness mixed with a lot of good will cause your life to be repulsive to others. You see, friends... One of the things we need to do, and, and this will be a tremendously successful message today, if you get just this one point. One of the things we as Christians need to do is we need to lose the idea that I'm okay because the good in my life outweighs the bad. See, that's not what the Bible teaches. We need to lose the notion that I'm okay because there's all this good in my life and there's just one or two little bad things. No, friends. That's not what the Scripture teaches. And I'll tell you something else. We need to lose this idea also, and that is that I'm okay because the grace and the mercy of God covers my sin and evil and weakness. 
Oh, friends, you're only confessing that you don't understand the Scriptures when you even think such a thought or say such a a thing. That's absolutely not true. You see, friends, grace and mercy was never meant to leave you in your sin. Grace and mercy was meant to lead you out of your sin. Grace and mercy does not give you the privilege of continuing to live in sin and to practice an unholy lifestyle. Grace and mercy is this, that God loves you in spite of your sin, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how far you have gone downward. God loves you so much that if you'll cry out to Him, He'll reach down and He'll pick you up and He'll lead you up and out of that sin. But when you say grace and mercy is my excuse for living in sin, you do great damage to the Word of God. I want to tell you, All across America, all across America, grace and mercy is presented and they think it's God, but it's really the devil's doctrine. It's the devil's doctrine. It's the devil convincing the people of God that you can live any way you want to live and be pleasing to God. And that's not what grace and mercy is all about. We need to lose some of these notions. And I want to share this with you, friends. There's some things we need to stop saying. I was thinking the other day, I, I think every now and then they have a board meeting in hell and the devil gets all of his demons together and they hatch out another saying for people to say. And we as the church just have a tendency to latch on to some of these things. I, I want to give you three things today that I hope you will never say again. And if you hear somebody else say it, I I hope you will understand that they're wrong. You may not correct them, but you will know it's wrong. Uh, Here goes. First say, don't ever say this again. Don't sweat the small stuff. Really? Is, is Is that what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that every word you speak is important to God. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. How much? No. No bad communication. Not one word. The Bible also teaches that we are to be careful not to offend others in in the least little things we do. One passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 8.13 says, If I eat meat and it offends my brother, I won't eat meat. You see, the small things we do are important to God and they're important to others. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good character. Do you hear me? I'm talking about little things. I'm talking about the words you say, the food you eat, the little things you do, the company you keep. Don't sweat the small stuff. Oh, friends, you and I, as children of God, We better sweat the small stuff. If you want to walk with God, you better sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff as a devil's lie adopted by the devil's crowd. A dedicated Christian will always sweat the small stuff and will always pay attention to the little things. Second saying that we need to lose. Everything in moderation. Really? Really? Let me help you out with that. Go home today and try to convince your wife of that. 
Say, honey, from this day forward, this is going to be the rule of our home. Everything in moderation. So what that means is I get to do anything I want to do at any time as long as I'm not excessive. You with me? You'll get divorced in six months. Doesn't work that way. It's not everything in moderation. That's not what the scripture says. By the way, next time you get caught for shoplifting and you go before the judge, why don't you use that as your defense? Judge, my defense today is everything in moderation. I know I did the shoplifting, but I want you to know I'm not excessive with it. I don't do it but once or twice a year. And and surely the judge is going to look at you and say, oh, since you've used the defense of everything in moderation, then I release you today. You may go, right? No, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Not everything in moderation. That's not what the scripture teaches. By the way, listen to this verse, Ephesians 5, 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's, say it with me, holy people. When did we depart from holiness? These are improper. This is not what I want you to do. Not all things in moderation. This is God identifying some things that should never be tolerated. Some things that we should completely abstain from. I cannot go there. I cannot do that. I cannot be a part of that. Not all things in moderation. Here's the last one. It's what's in your heart that counts. You can't find that one in the Bible. You may think you can, but you can't. It's what's in your heart that matters or that counts. That's not what Jesus taught, friends. Jesus taught, it's what comes out of your mouth that counts. That's what Jesus taught. You can write this now. We won't pull it up. Matthew 15, 11. Jesus said, he said, that which comes out of the mouth, that defiles the man. It's what comes out of your heart, out your mouth that counts. Listen to this one, Matthew 12, 37. For, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Not by what's in your heart. One of these days each and every one of us will stand before the Lord our God, and we will be judged, we will be justified or condemned by the words of our mouth. Did I make that up? Well, let's read it one more time. For by your words you will be what? Justified. And by your words you will be condemned. By the way, I believe that's true on Judgment Day, but let me share something with you. I also believe that's true every day. I believe it applies to life itself. You see, there are some people who go through their entire lives and they feel a sense of condemnation. They feel like the world is against them. They're always battling, always striving, always fighting, always up against something. And they think it's the world's fault. And the problem is their words are wrong. By their words, they will be justified and accepted or by their words, they will be condemned. 
Oh, friends, I tell you, of all the people on earth, we as Christians should be the ones who learn how to speak the good, the pure, the powerful, the holy, the positive. We should know how to speak life into people. So, so it's what's in your heart that counts. That's not what the Bible teaches. By the way, here's another verse that will really help you. Matthew 5.30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, it really doesn't matter because it's what's in your heart that counts. Did I depart from Scripture? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus said that. If your right hand causes you to sin, causes you to stumble, it goes on to talk about the eye. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He was using an extreme illustration to point to the fact that your actions matter and what you do really does count. He, he didn't say it's what's in your heart. Now, l- let me very quickly move on to tell you this. That if you read the Bible, you will find out that the Bible says the out of the heart the mouth speaks, right? And the Bible teaches that out of the abundance of the things in the heart, we do act. But what the Bible wants us to understand and, and we live in a day and a time where people no longer comprehend this, is there is no disconnect between your heart and your words and your heart and your actions. If your words are evil, your heart is evil. If your words are mean, your heart is mean. If your words are vulgar, your heart is vulgar. If your actions are deceptive, your heart is deceptive. There is no separation between your heart and your actions And what the Bible wants us to understand is that what we say and what we do really does matter. You see, these are our actions. These are our words. So what do I do? What do you do? Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary. To send forth a stinking savor. So does a little folly in him that's in reputation for wisdom and honor. You see, the thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world is we, we claim to be the people of God. We're talking about spiritual growth now. What do you do? Let me close with this, friends. This is what you do. First thing you do is you embrace the truth. The truth of God's Word. Not the sayings that are going around. Not weak, flimsy theology that doesn't line up with the Word of God. You embrace the truth. And the truth is that just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of folly, just one little indiscretion, just a a little acts of disobedience can mess up your whole life. That's the first thing you do. You just embrace that. It'll mess up your whole life. And by the way, until you understand that, you can spend the rest of your life trying to get right with God and trying to let the power of God flow through you and trying to have power with God and words with God. But as long as you ignore that, you're never going to get any farther. See, you've got to understand that just a few little bad things in your life mess up a million good things. It does. See, 
And then, once you embrace that truth, then go from there. Man, just take off. Once you embrace that truth and get before the Lord, and as humbly as you know how, say, God, no more excuses, no more procrastinating, no more denial. God, I need you to help me get the dead flies out of my life. I need you to reveal to me the flaws, the weaknesses, the dead flies that are in my life. I need you to help me get those out. And friends, I want to tell you, if you have ever wondered whether you could get God's attention again, you try that one. Heaven will open up above you. Because I got a news for you. God loves it when we get honest with him. When we say, God, this is who I am. I'm not in denial anymore. I won't make any more excuses. I need to get the dead flies out. And then do this. Humbly rejoice and thank the Lord that His mercy and grace is still available today. His mercy and grace is fresh and new every morning, the Scripture tells us. Thank God that His mercy and grace is still available for you and for me and that His mercy and grace will not leave you in your sin but will reach down and pick you up and lead you all the way into the presence of a holy God and begin to work in your life. And then do this. Don't ever make another excuse for sin. Don't ever say to somebody else, well, this is just who I am. This is the way I am. The world has to accept me. Oh, friends, just the way you should be should be like Jesus, should be like Christ. Don't ever excuse yourself again. When sin does pop up in your life, and we have to be honest, don't we? It will from time to time. We're all humans. We all make mistakes. And there will be times when the enemy will deceive you for a moment or you will fall or there will be a thought or word or deed or something that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Don't ever excuse it again. Identify it. Know the Word of God. Know what's right. Know what's wrong. And when sin shows up in your life, identify that sin. Call it sin. Call it what it is. Get it under the blood in repentance and get it out of your life. See, that's what you do. And then start paying attention to the little things, the details, the small things. You know, most of the Christians I know honestly want God to do something big. And God wants us to do something small. That's what God wants. By the way, forget about all the big stuff. Really, I'm serious. Forget about all the big stuff. Start paying attention to the little stuff, the small stuff. And pay attention to the details, the little words, the little expressions, the actions, the interaction, the little things. And then finally, start walking with God. Do it today. Don't, this is not something you have to wait. Just, just do it today. Start walking with God. Start gazing upon the glory of God. Stay in the Word. Listen intently to the Holy Spirit. Embrace the truth. Ask God to help you. Thank Him for His grace and mercy. Don't ever make excuse for sin again. You see, just repent of it and get it out of your life. Pay attention to detail. Start walking with God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you.
Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.